Hello and welcome to another episode of the Black Business Psychology Networks podcast. This episode, my name is Dr Grace Mansa Owusu and this episode features a brilliant special guest, Dr Rima Lamba, who is a qualified counselling psychologist and she qualified at the University of East London and did her professional doctorate in counselling psychology. She then went on to do various roles within the NHS um, and then she started her Hello and welcome to another episode of the Black Business Psychology Networks podcast. Um, and today we have a lovely special guest. Her name is Dr. Rima Lamba and she's a counselling psychologist. So I'll let her introduce herself first and then we'll get to it with a question. So thank you for coming, Dr. Rima Lamba. And how are you? I'm good. It's a bright sunny day, so I'm very, very happy today. Um, I'm really touched that you invited me here. Um, it's really you know I always love these kind of uh, you know things where we get to talk and discuss all our different paths and things like that but yes uh, you know as, as you said I'm a counselling psychologist um, and I specialise in uh, women and mothers mental health and, and quite specifically I call myself an intersectional feminist counselling psychologist that's kind of how I identify uh, my my kind of professional narrative, um, if, if that's what you want to call it. Um, so I'm really, really interested in, um, you know, ethnic minority women's experiences of the kind of their, their, their gender, their womanhood, as well as how they navigate their racial, cultural identity. Um, so within that, a lot of my work is around thinking about how patriarchy is internalized, how racism affects one's identity, um, and it's very, it is very, very intersectional for, for women like us. Yeah. Um, it's not one or the other. Um, and, and how these things really kind of get inside us and how we might uphold them as well is one of my interests. But I mean, look, my interests are quite varied as well. So I'm, I'm very um, uh, interested in things like intergenerational and transgenerational trauma, yeah. um, thinking about how trauma in history uh, in ancestral history starts to kind of penetrate the family lineage mm-hmm. and gets kind of carried through. Yeah. Um, I'm very interested in culture and migration. Okay. Uh, my doctoral thesis was on Puk- migrant Pakistani Muslim women's lived experiences mm-hmm. of postnatal depression, um, which I always say that really incorporates all my interests because yeah. it's, it's migration, women, it's South Asian women, um, and it's postnatal depression, so it's the maternal journey as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, most of the people I see are, are sort of women and mothers. Um, you know, individual therapy is, is, is sort of what I offer. Yeah. Um, and that's sort of a little bit about me, I suppose. And, and a huge aspect of my work is also thinking about um, the South Asian experience, being mm-hmm. a South Asian woman myself. I've always been very, very interested uh, in South Asian mental health and again very specifically South Asian women's mental yeah. health um, because I think it's been a largely kind of neglected area in many yeah. ways so it's I'm really trying very hard to bring it at the forefront. Absolutely well, thank you that's fascinating and I've got to say and I'm, it's going to sound very slightly stalkerish so when I sent you an email to ask about um, if you'd like the details of the podcast I got your kind of like risk not an out of office email, but the bit that you put after when if people reply, we'll send you an email, like I'll respond. And then I saw yeah. like the title un- underneath, like interested in intersectional feminist psychology. And I was like, oh my goodness, 
she's great and I think I like <laughs> took a picture of your signature and I sent it to my friend I was like I'm going to be interviewing her on the podcast in a couple of weeks but look at her signature it's so cool I want my signature to be like that because it really does really explain and again from a somebody that might be coming to you seeking counselling it's really nice to see those words for me that really resonated with me for a lot of people it might not resonate but at least you know the kind of person the kind of counsellor or counselling psychologist that you are so people can then start to position themselves like can is this the right person for me basically and I think that's really good I enjoyed that. Wow, I, I'm really, I'm really touched to hear that. And and I think again that for ethnic minority women, yeah, it's not just one aspect of their identity. It, yeah. it is about you know the culture they're carrying, the racial identity they're carrying, and and also the the female identity and how kind of multiple layers of oppression um, affect them on a day-to-day basis as well as kind of you know their overall life story and you know I've only talked about kind of gender and race there yeah um but there's far more identities than that you know kind of once we throw in things like you know difficulties around you know health and and you know disability that's a whole other layer that's a whole other layer of oppression that you know somebody who's an ethnic minority female and then also kind of struggling with the condition you know, multiple layers of oppression. And, and there's thinking, there's something about thinking about how that impacts one's sense of self and our yeah. identity, how it impacts their relationships, mm-hmm. how it impacts, you know, how they navigate themselves in the world. There's, mm-hmm. you know, the level of self-esteem, the level of self-worth. Um, and, you know, the, the kind of whole diversity of that world, really, yeah. is, is what I'm interested in. Brilliant. So I'm going to jump to... Um... And this is a very, and when I ask this question to a lot of guests, they're like, oh, I was a bit, it's a bit broad, like a bit deep. But how did you get to this point? So you finish your professional doctorate, you got a private practice, uh, you're a counselling psychologist, but how did it start? Um, if if we can start, and it doesn't have to be right at the beginning, but. Yeah, um, that is a broad question, but it's really interesting. Um, I think so much of this, Grace, has been a journey, you mm-hmm. know, um it's not like I woke up one day and said why I'm going to be a counseling psychologist who's who's going to incorporate everything around kind of intersectional feminism I really think it's been a journey for me um you know I I did a a, you know an undergraduate in psychology Mm -hmm. I I really really enjoyed it I loved it and at that point I didn't know whether I was going to go sort of, the, you know, full steam ahead yeah. with a professional psychology pathway. Yeah. I took some time out afterwards and, and really had to think about things. I did some odd jobs, that sort of thing. And then I realised that I missed that world. I missed learning yeah. about kind of the human mind and, and human behaviour. So then I really started to explore, okay, if I'm thinking about this, I need to kind of examine what are the different pathways. Mm-hmm. And although that, you know, sort of, you know, typically I'm not saying it's for everyone of course but typically what I found is that you know it's very heavy on clinical psychology it's often kind of that's the that's the one that comes to comes to mind that wasn't actually my journey Mm -hmm. Uh, for me my interest was very much in counseling psychology as soon as I read about it because I was always quite interested in the therapeutic relationship yeah 
um, you know, that really spoke to me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just, it, it just r- sort of rung a bell with me. And I thought, okay, I'm, I'm going to start the application processes. Mm-hmm. And I did that and I applied to a, a, a few places. And I was really, I was quite fortunate actually, because I'm aware this is not everybody's journey, mm. but I, I got onto the doctorate quite quickly. Yeah. Um, and I find it quite hard to say that because I'm aware for so many um, in all the different uh, professional psychology routes, it's yeah. it's incredibly competitive. Yeah. And, you know, I, I've heard of colleagues, uh, it took me four years, three years, five years, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, and there was me kind of carrying a different story in that, yeah. that I, I did kind of get on fairly quickly. Um, and then it was kind of, you know, from then that's when it, that was a challenge, I think, for me in that my story wasn't matching up with most of my colleagues. Yeah. So I, I remember kind of struggling with that, uh, mm. to be honest. Um, and then once I was at the doctor, I mean, I studied at U- University of East London, uh, UEL. Um, that's where I, I, I did my doctorate. Um, and you know, even then, I wouldn't say I had a clear idea of exactly where I was going to go. I knew I was always interested in, in the psychology of women, and I knew I was always interested in cultural you know, issues around culture and race and identity. Um, and, and kind of I, I was always holding that, I suppose, in the background. So I think once I, once I, I kind of graduated from the doctorate, mm-hmm. after that, I was able to think a lot more um you know about well actually after that I had to get a job to be perfectly <laughs> honest yeah you used to pay pay your money back like get earn some money I, 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 I was I was broke um yeah. so after that yeah. actually truth be told I had to get on with getting a job yeah. um and I, I worked in the NHS for a bit um in eating disorders which I loved it was okay. a fascinating field um and then really it was sort of a point where I thought okay, I've been in the NHS for a bit. What do I really want to do? Is this it or not? Yeah. Um, and then from that point on, I, I started making a decision about thinking about setting up on my own to really yeah. get my teeth into, you know, what my passion is, essentially. Brilliant. So then I set up Blue River Psychology. <laughs> yeah. How long How long has that practice been running, if you don't mind me asking? It's been for about three years. Okay. Um. It's yeah, it's been about three years and it's um it, it's growing now actually. Mm. I've decided to kind of take on uh because you know I just realized I can't do it all. Yeah. Um so I've got some fantastic therapists now who have literally just started working with who've joined my practice, all women of ethnic minority heritage, um and you know, very again, very keen and interested in the South Asian mental health experience, South Asian woman uh kind of experience. And um, very just interested in the kind of diversity, thinking about gender and race and all the other intersectional identities as well. Um, so it's it gone through a bit of an expansion and that, yeah. that's really started in sort of the, you know, in, in 2021. So yeah. it's early days at the moment, but that's a new, that's a new journey that I'm, that I'm on with the practice, which is interesting. That sounds so interesting. And I just wanted to go back, if you don't mind. Um, so, yeah. After your undergrad, between your undergrad and applying for the doctorate and getting on, what kind of work experience? So one of the things that, you know, aspiring psychologists want to know, even if they're applying and applying and applying to the professional doctorates, what what kind of work experience did you get um, in between? And 
you said you got onto the doctorate quite quickly in comparison to maybe some of your peers and maybe a lot of that distinguishing factor could be you, the work experience and what you were exposed to so yeah it would be interesting to find out yeah so one of the things I, I did was I did work with children with autism okay so I think that that, that put me in a kind of a, you know advantageous position mm-hmm. and the other thing I think that possibly did um you know work in my advantage is I got asked a lot of questions during the interview process particularly mm-hmm. I got asked a lot of questions around what is it that is my research interest right so I had been thinking about that for quite some time as part of the application process okay and I think there's something about I had you know some sort of clinical experience in my background mm-hmm. I worked with children with autism mm-hmm. um, and in addition to that I had a passionate interest in the, the the research topic I wanted to do um, and, and, I, and I think that that worked in my favor but I think if I'm to be honest there is something about you know th- this was years ago now you know when I was applying and, and things like that and arguably you could say to some degree it was easier mm. you know not everything was easy of course but to some degree yeah. it was easier but over the years it's become increasingly competitive yeah you know, I mean, counselling, psychology, doctorates, you know, they, they pay for themselves. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you have to self-fund, you know, it's, you're not paid by the NHS or any other bursary or anything like that. So it's, um, you know, it's remarkable. What I'm hearing from people is similar to clinical psychology. You know, a lot of the time it's taken them years to get on. Mm. Um, it, I, I think, it, yeah, yeah, I think for listeners, what I'd want them to hold in mind is, you know every journey is going to be very very different yeah and you know we are in a very different time with these doctorates now um and, and there's something about just holding that context absolutely no I do agree with you like it seems especially with the the funded ones have always been extremely competitive so your clinical and your educational yeah. but you've also got health counselling forensic um I always forget occupational (laughs) the irony and sports and exercise which are also because they're a bit more niche you still get a lot of people who want to do them and then you also get the people that think I can't get onto clinical it's too difficult where else can I use my skills so I'm sure there's probably a lot of clinical people that tried that switch to counseling because it is quite similar in the terms of settings that you'd be in so Yeah, the competitiveness or competition in psychology careers is something that I do feel like needs to be addressed. It's incredibly intense and incredibly steep. Like this year, more so than I ever have seen before on LinkedIn and Twitter, I've seen so many people who've been able to get on this year to the clinical psychology doctorate, but their stories are so similar. Like I've applied, this is my fifth time applying, this is my third time applying, and I finally got in. Yeah. And I'm just like, geez, like, what do you do, like, in between those times? Or people who are on the training yeah. and they applied three or four times before, and they're finally on it. And there's a level of resilience embedded within psychology graduates that you, to yeah. get to that next stage, you kind of have. Yeah, and, and I think some of this does speak to why... Um, psychology across the board you know has been very white absolutely because you know for ethnic minorities it's you know we might not have some of the privileges and advantages to to sort of sit out for five six you know however many years 
it takes to get onto the doctorate. Uh, you know, I, I think there's something about kind of, you know, the classism that exists in the psychology professions as well. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think that that has impacted how inclusive it has been able to be and, and the level of diversity as well. And, and that's why I feel like it's more difficult and more competitive this time because obviously now we've got postgraduate loans student loan company will fund masters um and when I was at uni it didn't even fund masters or PhD so getting a different type of loan or self-funding somehow um but that's opened it up a little bit more but the problem is a lot of people who graduated post I can't remember the time when they increased the fees to nine thousand pounds but at least even if you graduated or you were in the second wave of student loans, which were 3,000 a year. So that was around yeah. 2010. That's 3,000 a year times three or four, if you're doing a sandwich course or a four-year course. Then you pay for a master's. A lot of people go for the master's route. That's another 10 grand minimum, oh. like kind of, that you have to pay for somehow. And then you're asking someone to fund three years of extra study on top of yes. that. Like, where's the money coming from? Like, the waste actually, of that debt. Yeah, the waste of that debt. And for, for a lot of ethnic minority women, uh, you know, and a lot of ethnic minority people, you know, we often do come from heritages where, you know, our parents have had nothing. There's no they've had money. To, yeah. Whatever they've got, they've, you know, they've got to kind of keep the roof over their head yeah. for, for maybe the basics. I mean, w- there's not massive inheritances that, that kind of a lot of uh, the ethnic minority cultures come from. They, they, you know, we, we don't have that. So what really that creates is limited options. Yeah. And it's kind of like what you said after your doctorate, you had to get yeah. a job fast. And that's a lot yeah. of people, if you make, make it to undergrad, it's like you can't really be languishing in like, it's not even get a job, get a full-time job as fast as you can. And then if you've got any time extra, then you can build up the experience to do the voluntary stuff and the honorary this and the yeah. volunteer that. Um, but there is an expectation that you will get a job fast because an extra wage or whatever like it's it's a real it's a real dilemma Um, and I do think things are changing but it it is definitely I personally think it's a massive problem Um, and it's not just with psychology structural isn't it absolutely yeah it's it's a structural issue isn't it and I think uh, with a lot of the noise that so many psychologists um, have been making particularly in the last year to kind of decolonize and things yeah. like that, it, it, it's starting to demand a kind of a change in the wind. So a change in conversation that actually there's something going on here yeah. that's leaving out large portion, portions of society yeah. from stepping into the, these professional pathways where actually there's a real need for diversity. Well, first of all, there's a need for manpower in general. There's a shortage. Yeah. And then there's even more of a need in set, I mean, everywhere for that diversity of thought, the di- just diversity yeah, yeah. in general, different perspectives. Mm. And I mean, I'm going to go slightly off a tangent here, but um, my day job, one of one of the areas that I look after is apprenticeships. And there are other, there's certain professions. And I think doctors, as in medical doctors, there's some talk of there being an apprenticeship route to, to be a doctor. And with mm. apprenticeships, a lot of them are accredited. I mean, when you, when the, when you try and write an apprenticeship standard, you have to do that with a group of other people from those professions anyway. And then like the government body kind of oversees that and then it's approved by lots of different people. So for medicine, if they can do that, so basically you're doing on the job learning and it's accredited by a university anyway, 
I see that absolutely happening with psychology as well because to open yeah. it up yeah. and to just to give an alternative because at the moment there is no other alternative and so yeah. you can gain your undergraduate in three years if you want to do a doctorate that will take six years they do it with law six years if you mm-hmm. want to be a qualified lawyer from the age of 18 you just don't want to do the apprenticeship route I see the same thing happening I see that as a really good big opportunity for psychology and it will be a lot more liberating and less off-putting for other lots of other people but I don't know yeah. Yeah. I'm speaking it out well I- I, I'm, I, it, I, I want to see now if your prophecy kind of comes true. I mean, I didn't know about this with um, the, the other professions and um, it, it's really interesting to hear about it. And I think there is something about, you know, the influence of other healthcare professions mm. and what they do and, and kind of the importance of learning from yeah. other professions and other societies that, you know, that starts to kind of help us look inwards. That Actually, you know, what are we doing? what's happening to kind of the workforce where where are the needs what are the changes that need to happen so I mean I I think there is a bit of a wait watch and and sort of you know see absolutely so my next question for you is what you've said that you were always interested in counselling psychology when you heard about it but what made you choose like counselling psychology over let's say clinical for starters You know what, back then, the way kind of clinical psychology was described yeah. was that it was very aligned to kind of the, the you know, the scientist practitioner model, yeah, yeah. Um, quite kind of, you know, under undertones of, you know, kind of almost medicine, yeah. me- medicalized kind of psychology. Yeah. Um, very sort of... Um, you know like the aim was just to reduce psychological distress like that was that was kind of the narrative that I was presented with really mm. um I don't think it's like that now and, yeah. and hasn't been for many many years um whereas the, the kind of story that I was seeing with counseling psychology was that it was um it was it, it, you know much more exploratory it was more, yeah. far more process-based yeah. very focused on the therapeutic relationship those are very much its roots um and um you know heavily kind of uh, kind of thinking about the reflective practitioner system uh, 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 reflective practitioner model rather than kind of just holding the scientist practitioner so I mean that kind of spoke to me far more um than than the clinical psychology doctorate but having said that I I mean over the years it's changed dramatically and they're both the professions are quite similarly positioned and, and quite aligned and there's I mean I've worked with incredible clinical psychologists who you know are, are you know very much subscribed to kind of reflective practice yeah. and, and that is very much their bread and butter and very much behind um you know their practice so it, it's again it, it's changed dramatically yeah. since when I um did my uh, doctorate that did sound interesting like from from how it was presented to you counseling just spoke to you a bit more um and actually back to again I keep jumping around but back to your doctorate experience in terms of placements that you had on the doctorate which kinds of placements did you have just out of interest so yeah so a lot of a lot of my experience particularly in the latter part was kind of community mental health um, teams but to start with uh, I mean my god you're bringing back memories (laughs) Um, I no that's all right um 
yeah the first year I remember really really struggling and I ended up um yeah I ended up working in kind of you know in a mental health charity to start with uh so I worked at Mind yeah and then from that I you know I was in a much kind of better position for NHS uh, placement so then I went into CMHTs and in my third year I was again in a CMHT but a purely psychodynamic um team which was really interesting yeah I loved is um in my final year I got to work at SOAS University brilliant so I worked in a student counseling service which I loved Mm. I mean you know it was so interesting um and one of my other placements I think this was in the middle the second or third year I can't remember I um I also worked in health psychology so I worked in pain management which was also really really fascinating so fairly diverse, yeah. Really interesting, especially for SOAS placement. And SOAS is, for anyone that's listening, the acronym is, it's one of the University of London colleges. So it's a school of yeah. Oriental, yeah, Oriental and African Studies. Oriental. Why have yeah, they changed yeah. that? Because you can't, anyway. Yeah. They might have a rebrand soon, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's. Yeah, I hope so, yes. I just realised that as I said it. I'm yeah, like, oh, much. wow, they need to change that. Yeah, yeah, very much so. I, I'm, I've always been quite surprised that nobody's brought it up to them. But but anyway. Considering um, the kind of I, institution yeah, what it I, is. I, as well. Yeah. Yeah, anyway. you would have thought, right? Yeah. I bet they don't want to they don't want to spend the money on the rebrand right. <laughs> my, my, my cynical thinking <laughs> I agree. um but yeah I loved I I really loved it there because I mean it was literally like you know it's one of the most kind of diverse universities yeah. you know they have a large number of international students yeah. I think they have one of the largest actually okay. um which I loved I mean it was like you know when you were in a therapy room it was like global mental health in your consulting room yeah I mean it really really was phenomenal um what I got to see there Uh, I I saw people from all over the world really um and it was incredibly fascinating and you know that kind of you know living in another country and being a student uh without any family structure without any social support you know how difficult that was to to navigate for for, for so many young people and it was such an honor to be alongside so many students and support them with that so that was that was incredibly you know, that was definitely one of my favourite placements I would I would say. Brilliant. And coming back to present day, I suppose, what do you enjoy most about being counselling psychologists and working therapeutically with clients? I I think the heart of it for me really is the therapeutic relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, being a witness to somebody's story being alongside them in their journey and being the person that they trust I suppose which is a huge honor um it's very very profound and incredibly powerful um and you know that kind of whole therapy journey I suppose you know you you see the the transition and the changes and the challenges you know that Mm. come up for uh, uh, any human being um that process I I find fascinating Mm. um it's incredibly challenging work you know that's this isn't to kind of just glorify it and to sort of say it's it's just this magical thing it's really really not um 
you know, there are days where I'm wondering about my own worth and I'm wondering about whether I'm even kind of good enough and yeah. I'm getting something or I'm not, you know, the, these are all challenging moments that most therapists have, yeah. possibly day to day. But I think those are the things that I really, really value that, you know, I, I get to be part of the story and I get to be part of, of somebody's um, journey and help you know, work alongside them to kind of reflect on, you know, new ways of being as well, which is, it's it's really exciting to to be part of that. Brilliant. Uh, I I can relate. And also, do you tend to work long, just out of interest, it's popped up, do you tend to work long term? Because obviously, working in the NHS, they don't really do long term therapy, (laughs) because everyone's got to pay for it. So it's not fair. But now you're in private practice do you yeah. offer uh, open-ended or do you do you have a set amount of sessions that you usually give um so it, you know what it really depends a lot of mm. people who come to see me you know they that i i have to say ends up kind of there are a lot of compl- there is a lot of complexity in the story yeah. i suppose um so Often a lot of my clients do end up seeing me long term, Mm -hmm. but equally, I, you know, I've had many who've, you know, done the 10 session thing, 12 session thing. It really, really depends if they've got, if they're self-funding as well, or whether they're going through insurance, all of these things have a massive influence on the the kind of, you know, the process, the the kind of length of therapy that they can commit to, you know, the, you know, the course of therapy that they can have. So it really depends. It really varies. It's very much kind of assessment and formulation kind of driven. And it's something I also discuss with a person as well. Once I I feel as though we've got enough of a picture of what might be going on. Just writing that down. Length of therapy is determined (laughs) because I think that's really interesting. And especially from Obviously, not all your placements were with the NHS. Like you said, you work with SOAS, you work with MIND, and they tend to have those yeah. kind of set number of sessions yeah. 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 models. Yeah. So coming out of those structures and developing your own, I do really like how it's it's obviously client-centred. <laughs> you don't want to do a yeah. one-size-fits-all yeah. because it just might not fit different clients. It depends on what you think exactly. as a clinician is right as well. And one of the things I've discovered over the years is, once you put a number to, th- to therapy sessions as well, so many people would have accessed things through the NHS or other structures. Yeah. Um, and they would have heard the number, you know, yeah. okay, we, we offer you six sessions, we offer you 12 sessions, we offer you, you know, that, that the kind of number-based approach and the resource-driven approach, I suppose, yeah. uh, which I understand why it's there, of course. But so many people can feel triggered by that. Absolutely. It's like, that, that you know, that, yeah, just to hear that you might only have 12 sessions when, you know, some, you know, it's not that people don't have awareness, you know, they might be quite aware that, okay, the, the difficulties are quite complex. They've been struggling for a long time. They might already be holding that thought. I don't think 12 sessions is going to cut it. What am I going to do at that point? Exactly. And often, but you know, once you get to that kind of mark, 12 sessions, you've only just started kind of building some sort of rapport with the therapist. I mean, in psychoanalytic terms, I mean, I've, I heard a colleague say recently that they read something which said, you know, the first year the client spent saying hello. Honestly. Which I really believe. I do as well. Like, I haven't done long, long term as a therapist, but I've done long term as the client. And when I think about yeah. 
the kind of nonsense that I said in the therapy room. And I sit back and I'm like, oh my gosh. And this is like years later. I'm like, I, what was I talking about? Like I was actually talking nonsense. Like a lot of it is like, oh gosh. And the growth you can see. So the first year I do agree is you're trying to just figure out your place with the, like you're, you're testing things out. And especially if it's brand new, if you've never had those before, it's a minefield. Really exactly I mean, and, and look I, I, you know people work differently with this as well but one of the things I try and do uh because obviously you know I'm there's no denying I'm a private practitioner so it's yeah. paid for yeah um and one of the things I try and do if people can't afford weekly is I try and offer fortnightly yeah. so at least kind of at a monthly level the, the cost is hard for, yeah. for, for the clients who come and see me however Obviously, that pace then affects, you know, the, the, the kind of, you know, the, obviously, if you're seeing people, right, if you're seeing a therapist regularly, if you're seeing weekly, then that, you know, that pace is shortened, it, it, you know, you're kind of in the rhythm of therapy more. But if you, if it gets yeah, pushed to fortnightly, then, you know, you've got a far longer gap. So then the process of therapy might be impacted, kind of a, whether you kind of stay at a medium term level or whether you stay at a long term level as well. So all these factors contribute to can contribute to kind of you know what ends up being the kind of um therapy kind of you know longevity I suppose so and the sustainability of it as well and and how safe yeah, you feel in exactly. the space because if you know you're gonna so many things come out of short-term therapy but I'm not gonna go into it now but like there's a lot of like triggering points around abandonment being left to your own device like yeah it's a minefield um okay so I, I was I'm going to touch on this question I think we've already answered it but when you worked within the NHS and also now with private practice you've got now got like a bit more of a team that you work with um and you mentioned therapists yeah. but when you work in the NHS and other services how is how do you distinguish yourself as a counselling psychologist or is there a need to distinguish yourself as a counselling psychologist or do you just go in and just do the job? Do you see what I mean? Like, yeah, it's interesting you say that because, I, I you know, I mean, my website says that I'm a chartered counselling psychologist and things like that. So I think I think people kind of, you know, most people always tell me they've read my details on, on the website and things like that. So I think they know that that's what my professional kind of title is and status is and things like that. I I, I rarely go into. I'm a counselling psychologist yeah. and that means, you know, I'm this, 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 this and this. And, and by the way, in comparison to, say, a clinical psychologist or a counsellor, you know, I rarely have those conversations yeah. unless obviously somebody asks me and they do actually want to focus on figuring that out. Right. Um, you know, it, I, I sort of get on with, you know, learning about that, yeah. really. Um, and le- again, learning about the story. Um, but it's a really good question. I think I think you know, the, it's really unfortunate as well, because I think there is something about the public feeling really confused. There's so many therapy pathways out there. There's so many therapists out there that even me as a professional, I struggled to keep up with it. So imagine somebody who's looking for support, what that must be like as a member of the public. It's, it's got to be really, really tough. Absolutely. And, you know, we've all done an undergrad in psychology, but like I said, up until I started doing the podcast last year, I didn't know what clinical psychology actually did. Yeah. I mean, I still mm. really, I'm a bit hazy. I don't, I didn't know the difference in counting clinical psychologists. I know a bit now. I also didn't know 
like the pathways and what is actually learned and how you work like in, in terms of like educational and forensic and sports and exercise so I do think there is there's a massive gap in psychologist knowledge and we need to know so we can at least if those questions come up yeah, we can yeah. confidently explain to a member of the public yeah. the, the qualifications and the differences yeah yeah. And, and and I think that the other thing is there's huge overlap. Yeah. So I know how psychologists who, you know, might have gone down that kind of you know research pathway and policy and things like that. And then I know how psychologists who basically do what I do. Yeah, so the same. overlap is also, you know, it, I think it kind of it's great, but it also I think it confuses us as well a little bit more. So thank you for answering that. And my next question is, it's really in line with what you've been talking about, especially that you're an intersexual feminist counselling psychologist. <laughs> but what do you think the impact, if any, of your race and your gender has had on your career journey? And that sounds very vague, so you can tackle yeah. it from any point. It's really, yeah, it's interesting you're asking me that because I think for a long time I've been... I've been working on it sort of at a personal level for, for quite some time. Um, I think, um, I, th- I mean, the other thing is psychology is very female dominated. Yes. You know, it's, it's one of the things me and my colleagues often, often sort of talk about. I think particularly what really has impacted me um, is more my racial identity. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I'm only kind of really, I've only been working through this in the last sort of couple of years, really, how um, difficult the doctoral tra- training path really, really was for me as, you know, uh, an, an ethnic minority woman. And, you know, how kind of white dominated the, the profession is, even in the University of East London which, you know, kind of prides itself on culture and diversity and racial, uh, you know, racial equality, you know, all of those things. Um, There was something about the space when I was in it, all the lecturers were white, as in most of the main professors who run the doctorate, they're white. And, you know, majority of the cohort that I was in was white as well. I think that there's something about that particular time which involves a lot of survivalism yes and you're almost kind of living week to week and you're you know you're caught up in kind of okay what assignment is next what am I doing what state what what stage am I in uh what have I got to get under my belt as part of my learning and training now you know so much of it is about survivalism so I think it doesn't you know it you you almost can't hold a thinking at a reflective level how tough it is it's only after you get out that you start to realise how much of a challenging time that is. And I'm, I'm still working through it in my own personal therapy. And I think the other thing that, you know, I really, really struggled with was a lot of assumptions were made, you know, even by, whether it's by clients or whether it's by colleagues around my race, um, around my mm. cultural identity. Mm. And it's really, really interesting because the doctorate never prepared me for that, not one bit. I mean, it's not to say that we didn't talk about race and culture. It's like we had a lecture on it and then we were done. But I think there's something about race, culture, you know, patriarchy, all these things need to be the bare bones and the foundation of, of, of what we do. But that's not necessarily 
what the doctorate journey was. It's kind of like, like I said, it's like we've done these lectures and then we move on to something else. So I had assumptions like, you know, when I, in work, there would be assumptions around my cultural identity being one where I might have an arranged marriage, for example. These things were kind of just inferred or, you know, it's presumed about me based on the color of my skin, based on the fact that I'm a female and I'm Asian. And so these were things that, because if you're not thinking about race and culture as kind of the bare bones, you know, as part of kind of the, the, the doctoral training, then actually you're not going to be thinking about how to help trainees, particularly trainees of color, uh, trainees of ethnic minority heritage. You're not gonna be able to hold how to help them navigate that sort of journey. These things were just left to the side, really. It was something that you were left to kind of figure out on your own. There's a lot to be said around language and being able to call things out. And it's like the unspoken and what you said about Mm. those things just being left. You kind of question your own sanity to a certain extent. Like, why am I being... I've had conversations with people recently, especially over the last year, obviously, George Floyd's murder and everything. A lot of this stuff has come out. People going, hang on, somebody said this to me. Tell me if you think that this is out of order. Literally, somebody texted me, one of my best friends texted me last week. And I was like, yeah, that's racist. And she's and I I was able to say it was a microaggression. They assumed this and that and that because the inherent thing is that you couldn't have done this because of the colour of your skin. And that's where it's coming out is, oh, oh, based on what people think you are, this is how you're going to be reacting, this is how you're going to live your life, this is how you're going to behave. And it's all very scripted, but it's obviously that's what microaggressions and stereotypes are all about. They're about relying on those short mental shortcuts to navigate your life. And sometimes they are relevant, but when it comes to things like that, it's really not. Um, So I do think those conversations and working through those things, especially for trainees, like you said, and not just doctoral trainees but undergraduate from undergrad from a level actually psychology and I think they even do GCC psychology it needs to be embedded within those syllabuses syllabi because um, to have reflective practitioners from the beginning you need to embed Mm. those skills otherwise you get people that just won't speak on it because they don't feel like they're going to be held and there's so much lack of literacy around this stuff within practitioners within majority like white practitioners like I've had situations where I've tried to explain it but I couldn't articulate what I meant so many times so it just kind of just gets left in the air and also the reality for 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 many ethnic minority people when you when we're trying to kind of explain it to a friend a colleague you know a, a, a group of people even is but these are not natural conversations. Mm. We're not used to having them. And also, often many people tell me, I feel really unsafe. I feel really yes. unsafe yes. saying this to my friend who yes. has known me for years, and but we've never talked about, talked about the fact that my racial identity is this real thing, you know, that I live my racial identity. I, I re- live with racism every day how do I have this conversation? It's making me feel really, really triggered with my white friend or my white colleague. And there's something about acknowledging that you have to start from the place where our nervous system is and our, almost our defense system is, that it, that needs a lot of kind of grounding and kind of, you know, being able to feel safe enough to have these conversations, to, to raise awareness on this and to kind of 
kind of impact relationships, I suppose, with with the with the issue of race and culture as well, because that 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 needs to happen. There's been a lot of relationships um, and friendships that have gone that have changed definitely over the last year, with regards yeah. to many people are saying this to me. Yeah, yeah absolutely. There's been families that have been yeah there's been a lot of things going on and especially that couple with covid and people being in lockdown it's just been as you would know it's 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 a definite minefield of is an awakening but then for some people but for others it's like there's a massive challenge like hang on this where did this come from you weren't speaking like this before what's going on Yeah. yeah And it's the unsilencing, right? Yeah. It's kind of actually that that's starting to feel too much. And, and like you said, kind of the, the relationship codes almost, yeah. kind of things yeah. like, this is what we were doing all this time. I know you as this person, and yeah. now you're talking about this big stuff. Yeah. You know, it's like the, the kind of negotiation of relationships and friendships, you know, it, mm-hmm. it's sort of, you know, it's being restoried and for some relationships that's starting to become too much yeah I can't handle it so next question what are your plans for the future so you started Blue River been you're three years strong you've now got associates and staff what's next oh gosh um I don't do a five-year plan if that's okay. what you're asking. no 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 I, and I, as I was asking that question I'm like maybe she doesn't have a next but anyway no, but I, I like it. It's interesting. It's getting me thinking, actually. Um, yeah, I'm not one of those people who have a, a five-year plan or anything like that. But I think I've got some really interesting projects that are kind of coming my way um, in the next year, which I'm really excited about. I'm writing a chapter. I've, I was invited to write a chapter on a, on a book around, you know, some of what we've talked about, actually. But particularly within kind of supervision context. Okay. So I'm wow. really looking forward to writing that. I'm happy to send it your way, Grace, once yes, I'm finished please. with it. The other thing I'm doing is I'm involved in some training and things like that. I think I'm kind of, you know, also, I mean, I've always been thinking about kind of community psychology, yeah. but I think I'm, I'm looking towards kind of really bringing that into fruition. Those are some of my kind of plans I suppose in the in the sort of in the, the next year and I'm going to be working with other therapists on that so that that's something really really exciting but th- I mean look long term generally that's what I'm hoping to do you know writing bringing kind of communities together yeah continuing to raise awareness that that's kind of what, what where I'm at with my career and the next hopefully few chapters sounds great I'm excited what and last but not least and it's been a pleasure to have you but the last question is advice that you would give to aspiring especially aspiring counseling psychologists but I do think a lot of what you're probably going to say resonates with other areas of psychology as well because mm-hmm. they're all difficult notoriously yeah they, they really really are I mean I know this sounds like a cliche but it is really really important especially for you know, uh, aspiring psychologists who are, you know, from ethnic minority backgrounds, please don't give up. Yeah. <laughs> because there's something, uh, you know, call it a call of duty or whatever, but, yeah. but we really need you. Yeah. It's really, really important um, to kind of get that out there um, in, in this podcast. And also try and think, if, if you can, allow yourself to, 
explore the multiple professions mm. don't get caught up in just kind of this dialogue you know kind of this you know monologic or this um you know one-dimensional thinking because I think there is this pressure uh, and I get it because it is kind of you know it's funded you know there's a lot of the the power of money in this um it it is kind of the interest is saturated towards kind of clinical psychology but the other professional groups trust me I meet these psychologists and these therapists every day they are amazing what is going on in the different groups you know whether it's health psychology whether it's you know educational psychology or, or or whatever it's really really fascinating what you can do in these other professional groups I think the power imbalance uh, is affecting things as well. So yeah. definitely get out there and research the other other psychology professional um, groups. It's really, really important to do that. Get as much experience. Get writing as well. You know, that's another one. I think sometimes, it, again, it can get caught up that, um, that we need to kind of, you know, get as many experiences under our belt as possible. Yeah. Uh, and of course that's important. But I think there's something about kind of getting writing and, and things like that, getting things published if you can. And also just look inward a bit as well. Yeah. What is it that really speaks to you? Mm-hmm. I think that's a really, really big one. What really calls at you? What, what really, what, where does your passion really lie? Yeah. And I think kind of letting that navigate you a bit more as well is really, really important. Yeah, absolutely. Because a lot of people do find that really challenging. Like, how do I know what I want to do? There's so many things to choose from. And one of the things that can help you with that is talking to as many people as possible. Obviously, I'm going to plug the podcast. We have several episodes with lots of different types of psychologists and people who <laughs> did psychology undergrad and didn't go into psychology. So you can listen to all of them in, in previous episodes. But if well, you this don't... space is fantastic for that, Grace, because yeah. that's I mean, you know, it's right here. Yeah. You know, people can people who are aspiring psychologists can listen to these yeah. and really start to, you know, get their mind thinking. Yeah. You know, oh, this is what education, this is what counselling is about. You know, what what again, what speaks to me out of all of them? And then get out there and research it and get in contact as well. Yeah. Whether it's on the BPS register or whether you're following someone on Instagram, get in contact and find out if you can have a I don't know, it's something like a one-off supervision or, you know, something where you can get a sense of, you know, what is educational psychology about? How did you do it? What did you find really tough? What, you know, all of that can really, really help, I think. I think one of the most accessible places, and this again is, I've seen this more in the last two years on Instagram, that a lot more psychologists, aspiring psychologists, assistant psychologists have got pages, literally the last year, they're everywhere. Yeah. So, and people are, obviously that's how I found you. on instagram <laughs> but, but um, world we're in, pe- isn't it? people are really accessible and really friendly and like i just Ooh, did it yeah. i just messaged dr reba on instagram and here we are so if yeah. you want to know some information you can use linkedin oh, oh the, the less i say about linkedin the better it is a great tool don't get me wrong it actually <laughs> is a fantastic tool but there's been some strange things happening over the last year but i do think there's other places like even twitter like i found some people from the podcast that were on the podcast who are the most amazing people and have just been helping me so much um yeah. same with instagram so use the social yeah. media connections because obviously everything's opening up a little bit more Completely. however it's still yeah. we're still in a pandemic so just use online if you can and don't feel shy if people I- don't reply they don't reply it's usually yeah. nothing to do with you yeah 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 exactly I mean I've I've had calls and inquiries through you know it, on various kind of 
platforms, I suppose. And, and you know, it, people have said sort of things like, look, do you mind if we have a chat? I'm thinking about the counselling psychology doctor. And I, I heard you went to University of East London. I'm also thinking of going there. You know, could, could, could you take some time out? And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I'll give you my thoughts on, you know, the doctor at the University of East London. Yeah. Uh, I don't know about the others, but, you know, I, I can give you a bit about my experience, you know. Yeah, of course, I'll have a chat with you, that sort of thing. And I think, I think, yeah, people are far more approachable. I mean, of course, everyone's busy. Yeah. And if you come across somebody, you email somebody who happens to not get back to you, like, like you said, Grace, honestly, move on to the next person. Yeah. See where you can get that information and get that insight and get that conversation. Yes. And I've got to say, like, basically everybody that's been on the podcast, if you want to, you know, ask any questions, I've put a lot of their information and details within the description of previous episodes. And I'll be doing this with yours as well, Dr. Rivas. <laughs> please do. Please do. You've got my details, Grace. And like you said, you're going to put it up. So please, please get in touch. I'm more than happy to have chats and, you know, help the help the new generation of psychologists I think it's a really really exciting time it really and is. um I, I think it, it would be fantastic to have again we're all talking about more diversity we can't do that unless we kind of have conversations with people who are thinking about entering the profession Absolutely. so please do contact me and there's also a lot of career changes so people that have done something yes. else they've done an, either a conversion course or they've done an open university yes. or in any other undergrad and now they want you know they've They've lived a life, they've got a career somewhere else and they want to change. Yeah. Feel free to contact either of us or any anyone on the podcast yeah. that's been on there if you want to speak about those things too. So thank you so much for your time. We've come to an end, sadly, but it's been so good having a talk with you, hearing about your career journey, hearing about the work that you do. Um, and just before we leave, I just wanted you, if you could just share like your how can people contact you? I will be putting in chat, but like, um, if, if if you would like to be contacted, how best would you like people to contact you? Yeah, that, that's absolutely fine. So the best form of contact is my email. Uh, I'm on uh, DR Lamba, that's L-A-M-B-A at blueriverpsychology.co.uk. So that's DR Lamba at blueriverpsychology.co.uk. Um, and if you want to follow what I talk about and the, and the kind of things that I uh, share and I, I'm interested in you can follow me on Instagram uh, and that's uh, Blue River Psychology or one word and you'll find me on there so yeah please please reach out just saying no plug but like the Instagram page is fantastic I do love some of the information <laughs> you. you put on there um, and there's a couple of other really good um, accounts what's that person I think it's called the creative clinical psychologist I came across her like a couple of weeks ago and I'm obsessed like she does these illustrations and I'm like oh my goodness I was like I love it I've got a few that I follow with illustrations and honestly I just stare at the amazing artistry just like where did she come from yeah I've already messaged her and I told her that I'm a a massive fan now I just want to like buy her because it's it's amazing so yeah I'll put I'll link some of those accounts in the description so people can access them but thank you so much for your time and have a lovely evening thank you Grace it's been an absolute honor thank you for asking me to be here in this conversation I've had a great discussion with you um so yeah uh, keep in touch will do